just as I am. Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And In the early 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine changed the course of European history in the space of a few short years. Constantine claimed to have seen, in a vision, in a dream, the sign of the cross, accompanied by a disembodied command, in this sign conquer. From this point forward, he systematically and dramatically shifted the religion of Rome from pagan to Christian. Within a generation, all levels of government were changed, power was restructured, civil law was redefined, the capital was moved, and the religion of state was altered. The effect on the empire was profound. Edward Gibbon in The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire writes this, The ruin of the pagan religion is described by the Sophists as a dreadful and amazing prodigy which covered the earth with darkness and restored the ancient dominion of chaos and night. For many Romans who had resisted the call of Christianity, it felt like their world was collapsing around them. Something similar has been happening in America over the course of the last generation. Recently, it was brought out in a couple of Gallup polls that in 2000, 70% of Americans claim to regularly attend a church service. By 2020, that number had dropped to 47%. In one generation, 23% of Americans stopped going to church on a regular basis. We also found out in 2020 that 33% of millennials, the largest generation after the baby boomers, 33% of them reported to be non-religious. They have no Christian or religious affiliation whatsoever. So within a generation, American culture has quickly shifted from religious to secular, what one might call the de-Christianization of America. And for those of us who have seen this happen in our adult lives, it seems like the world is coming apart at the seams. It's becoming increasingly crucial for Christians to remember the words of Jesus. My kingdom is not of this world. My friends, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. If one were to classify Roman cities, Roman colonies would be at the very top of the scale. Several Roman colonies are mentioned in the New Testament. Corinth, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Troas, and Philippi. Remember Philippi, we're going to come back there in just a moment. Now, one of the distinguishing features of Roman colonies is they were populated by large segments of Roman soldiers. It was the custom of Rome to send out parties of veteran soldiers who had served their time and been granted citizenship. 
and they sent them out to settle them in strategic road centers. Usually these parties consisted of 300 veterans with their wives and children. These colonies were the focal points of the great Roman road systems, which were so engineered that reinforcements could speedily be sent from one colony to another. They were founded to keep the peace and to command the strategic centers in Rome's far-flung empire. Roman colonies were not just in a strategic position, they were also in a privileged position. They were, for all intents and purposes, miniature Romes. Wherever they were, these colonies were little fragments of Rome, and their pride in their Roman citizenship was their dominating characteristic. The Roman language was spoken, Roman dress was worn, Roman customs were observed, their magistrates had Roman titles and carried out the same ceremonies as were carried out in Rome itself. They were stubbornly and unalterably Roman and would never have dreamt of becoming assimilated to the people amidst whom they were set. Colonies were settled by retired soldiers. They were known for their patriotism. They were outposts of Roman culture sprinkled throughout the empire. They were, in a phrase, Rome's away from Rome. Now remember, the city of Philippi was one Roman colony where Paul preached the gospel. And do you remember what happened when Paul cast a demon from a young woman whose Philippian masters profited from her divination skills? The slave owners hauled Paul and Silas before the local magistrates. Listen to their words, and remember Philippi is a Roman colony. These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Do you hear their pride? Do you hear their prejudice? Do you hear their patriotism? Do you hear their condescension? We are Romans. These men are Jews. Like all other Roman colonies, Philippi was a Rome away from Rome, a proud Roman city that kept the Roman customs and traditions filled with patriotism and pageantry. The Philippian magistrates command Paul and Silas to be beaten and thrown in jail. The next day, when the magistrates send for them, Paul accused them of unlawfully beating two Roman citizens. Roman citizenship in Paul's day was a precious distinction. Citizenship could be conferred as a reward for service to Rome. It could be purchased or one could be born into a family of Roman citizens. That was the case with Paul. He was born a Roman citizen. Rome went to great lengths to guarantee its citizens certain rights and protections. For example, Roman law explicitly forbade any degrading form of punishment, such as beating with rods, scourging, or crucifixion. To have treated Paul and Silas in this way, the magistrates were guilty of a crime worthy of death under Roman law. Citizenship had its privileges, and Paul took advantage of those privileges on more than one occasion, just as he did here. So here in the Roman colony of Philippi, Paul and Silas were unlawfully beaten, but released from custody, 
and the Roman magistrates begged them not to pursue the matter any further. I wonder if Philippi's distinction as a Roman colony, along with Paul's experiences during the formative days of the Philippian church, were on his mind when he wrote Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. In a city like Philippi, with its deep sense of Roman nationalism, its patriotism, its identity as a Rome away from Rome, with perhaps former soldiers of the Roman legions numbered among the saints, in such a city as this, remembering to whom you belong would be a real challenge. Now, Paul could identify with this. He could certainly relate. His distinguished pedigree as a Jew circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That pedigree made him susceptible to fleshly feelings of nationalistic pride. But Paul goes on, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul willingly sacrificed his lineage and his national identity so that he could know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means he may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul urges the Philippian brethren to adopt a similar point of view, to mature in Christ by forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, to aspire to Christian maturity, to set their mind on things above and not on earthly things. And yes, part of that meant remembering Our citizenship is from heaven. What a challenge this must have been for patriotic Philippian citizens who had spilled their blood or sat at dinner tables with empty chairs where fathers or sons or husbands should be, or who grew up with the pageantry and pride of the national festivals. And imagine how feelings of patriotism, fraternity, and national identity would complicate matters when the local magistrate took notice of your Christian assembly and applied either passive or aggressive pressure. How might you feel if you had valiantly fought for Rome in the past, but in the present, you've got to make a decision? Shall I serve Caesar or shall I serve Christ? If you were a Christian and a Roman citizen of Philippi, you might well feel your allegiance torn in two. It was challenging for them, no doubt, and it's challenging for us. Caesar was accompanied to being a king of kings, but Caesar did not realize that he was subject to a greater power. Rome was a kingdom within a kingdom, 
The kingdom of heaven has no boundary, since its throne sits in the hearts of those who in every place call on the name of the Lord. Wherever the throne of Christ sits, He, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision back in the book of Daniel chapter 2, as he saw in his vision of the image, that stone, Jesus, was poised to strike at the feet of the image, the Roman Empire, and grow his kingdom to fill the earth. God had conveyed these Philippian Christians into this kingdom by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. They were now his subjects, his soldiers, his colony, set in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. They were citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. As I draw this to a close, I remind you, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but the kingdom of heaven remains. It is my earnest desire for Americans to retain the freedom of speech and the freedom to assemble that we have enjoyed for these last two and a half centuries. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we should pray that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, and that indeed is my prayer. But in the event that current trends toward secularization continue, Christians can be certain that their souls are safe with Jesus, that he has never been a king without a kingdom or a head without a body, that so long as we remain faithful to him, the kingdom of God is within us. So take heart, dear brethren. Look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.